0: We're just talking, Daryl's in to preach today. Could just say just Daryl's here, and everyone would, for the most part, would know who who that is. But uh, a joy and a delight to welcome our brother Daryl Um Daryl serves as the senior pastor down in Sovereign Grace Paraland, and as uh, a sister church of ours down there. He also serves as our regional leader, so it's uh, he leads our family of churches here in Texas, and he you care for us so well, brother, and we benefit. Oftentimes, I'm benefiting and we all are benefiting from his wisdom, uh, both as just his love for this church, having grown up here and been a part of it for so long, and, uh, and his wisdom, his input. I lean on, on Daryl on a regular basis and say, hey, Daryl, what are your thoughts? And he's constantly encouraging me and encouraging us. And, uh, and obviously, as you know, Sovereign Grace Paraland as a church has served us tremendously over these last well years, really, but even especially the last couple of years, we've had so many folks up of David and Jason and Jonathan and others have come up and served in this pulpit, and so it's a joy uh, to partner with them in the gospel. And, uh, and the most important thing is that, uh, that you need to know about Daryl is that he's Holly's grandfather, and uh, that, that's probably the, the greatest introduction I could give you, uh, but, but a delight and a joy to welcome our brother. Let's welcome Daryl up. Come on.
1: Thanks, man, all right. Well, Bart, the, the problem you have introducing me there is that these they know me, so all those things are like wisdom. I don't know about we know Daryl, we know him that little rascal who went to children's ministry well in the old building or in the annex building and who got brought out many times to be disciplined. <laughs> so, keep disciplining, this is the fruit of good discipline. May the Lord be uh, gracious and, and kind to us. So good to be with you. First of all, I just want to say greetings from Sovereign Grace Church Paraland. Pearland. Uh, David Reed, who's been here a number of times to preach, specifically said this morning, please tell them I said hello and I love them. So he sends his love. And we just thank you for serving the Lord. Thank you for obeying the Lord where you are. Your your obedience to Christ, your relating to one another and caring for one another, the residual effect is that we're blessed in Paraland. That as you serve the Lord here and and present a gospel witness right here, we hear of that. And so when you're reading the New Testament, Paul will often say, I've heard of your good deeds. Well, I'm no Paul for sure, but I have heard of your good deeds and I give thanks to God in heaven. And now I know you as a church historically. Um, and so there's that added blessing of, of knowing so many of you for so many years and seeing God's good work in your life. And and so what a what a joy to be with you on a on a celebratory Sunday, celebrating God's faithfulness to us. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, and while we do that, I think it's it's probably challenging as the kids are in many of them in children's ministry. They see all those toys outside, all those those instruments of Pleasure for their afternoon, bouncy castles and whatever else is out there, and I got to imagine they're having a hard time reining it in right now. Well, well, me too. Um, so let's, uh, but we do. We get to turn to God's word and give our attention to the word of the Lord. Um, but one more thing before I do that, I, I, ju- I do want to I do want to um, thank you, Bart. Jessica, for just your service to Christ. Um, <laughs> in God's providence, this is my perspective. You had big shoes to fill. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, but don't in one sense we all when God is working through us. Um, and our confidence is not in our shoes and our labor. And I know if my dad would say that this morning. Our hope is in the Lord. And he, he longs to know his people. And what we want are, are other servants of Christ who long to know the Lord, who make it their business to know God because God has revealed himself. And so thank you for continuing to humbly, as previous pastors have, humbly walk with God's people through the ups and downs of life. And I I would prefer you would be preaching this morning because I would want to be blessed (laughs) by your ministry, but I am here to serve. And so let's get to God's word. Normally I would read, this is a long passage, so we're not going to read it up front. Normally I would read it, but we're going to need to break it up so that we can chew on this a little bit this morning. And as, as we read this morning and Thank you, Jesse, for reading the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 40. The first eight verses are are some of the, the pinnacle of all of Scripture. It's just this wonderful turn in the book of Isaiah where the people of Israel have been in this season of difficulty and challenge, a season really of rebellion against God and the consequences of that rebellion working out as God judges, purifies, and also redeems and saves them from themselves and to himself. And so God is committed to his people. And he's, he's been 39 chapters just laying out kind of their offense. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's heavy. You read through Isaiah. It, it's a heavy read, those first 39 chapters. With glimpses of God's grace. The promise of Emmanuel. The root, the stump of, of Jesse. The, the coming Messiah. The king who will come and redeem his people. There's this, this hint of hope in the midst of this dark and difficult judgment that's coming upon God's people for turning away from Yahweh from turning away from God. And then verse or chapter 40 just kind of explodes into the picture of oh comfort God's people you're thinking comfort where oh how wonderful it is after 39 chapters of the judgment of God how we need the comfort of the Lord And so we're going to pick up right there, verse 9, but here's, here's where I want us to start as we think about this is where Israel was. Let's think about, too, as God's people, where we find ourselves so often in the midst of trials, pressures, hardships, sufferings, difficulties, even long temporal judgment, even living in a culture that may be under judgment as God removes himself from it to emphasize His creature's need of Him. We can be tempted to doubt God's willingness to save, can't we? In these deep hurts. And especially for God's desire to dwell with us. Maybe we would even say, oh, we know God wants to save us, but does He really want to be with us? Is He really with me? Is He really with us? We may question if He knows what we're going through, or worse, we may question if he even cares in the midst of our suffering. Now, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 40 of Isaiah, God calls his servant Isaiah to counsel or console his people again with his desires, that is God's desires and God's abilities. God's desires and God's abilities. I want you to hear what who I am and what I'm doing, and I want you to to know what I'm going to do for you. So specifically, God reveals who he is to bring hope to soul-weary people. God reveals who he is to bring hope to soul-weary people. He is the God who is near He is the God who is limitless, and he is the God who strengthens. Three points this morning. He is the God who is near, he is the God who is limitless, and he is the God who strengthens. So number one, God wants us to know that he desires to be near us, our intimate God. Now let's read Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 9 through 11 here. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Behold your God. So here Isaiah gets this message to go out to to remind people of who God is. Behold your God. Draw your attention to God. Look, listen, learn, bring your attention to God. It's the verbal equivalent of a clap of thunder or a strike of lightning. Behold, behold, pay attention. I know you're, you're discouraged, you're overwhelmed. All that you can see is your difficulty, but behold your God. Turn your attention from your circumstances and see him. Right up at the beginning here, Isaiah is saying, look, look at, at God. Really, Isaiah is speaking for God directly. And God is saying, look at me. Look at me. And we may hear that and we think thunder or lightning. And we think, boy, we're going to run from that, right? We're going to run. <laughs> we hear thunder. We hear Light or we, we hear the strike of lightning, we're gonna we're gonna run from that. We have this beautiful giant black lab. That's like 890 pounds. I keep saying hundred pounds and Sherry corrects me, it's like eighty pounds. Anyway, it she seems huge. And she thinks she's a people. And this week as the as the rain came down and the thunder rolled. She normally sleeps where people sleep, on beds and couches and stuff. But she was, I came into the bedroom and she was very close, right up to Sherry, curled in a big ball, curled in a big ball right up. And I thought, that, that's a picture of when we hear the thunderclap, behold your God, we draw near. We draw near to the Lord. The tendency is, for us is to pull away sometimes, to pull back, and certainly think 40 chapters of, the weight of their sin in the case of the Israelites. But let's think about just a few weeks sometimes in the weight of our sin. Do you ever, Christian this morning, those who are following Jesus, those who are in Christ, do you ever get discouraged in your sanctification? you ever thinking, I'm never going to change? And Lord, when I know I'm to draw near you, I just, I feel the weight of my dirtiness and my sin. I feel the weight that I don't deserve to be near you. And it's as if the Lord is clapping his hand saying, behold who I am. I'm going to take little lambs in my arms. I'm going to shepherd my people. I'm going to care for you even in the midst of your sanctification, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your sorrow, and even in the midst of your joy. Come near to me. The Lord calls us to be near Him. God's desire for us to be near Him is a marvel and an amazing act of His grace. And, and here you see the connection with this behold your God and the greatness of God to, that, that emphasizes God's power is a means by which he declares his gentleness. He's declaring, behold who I am, draw near. And then he says, because I'm going to be gentle towards you. Dear Christian this morning, when you think of your God, do you imagine him as one who is gentle towards you because of who you are in Christ? That you are little lambs. That he loves you. And that yes, while he is transcendent and great and glorious, that through Christ he's made a way for you to come very near to him. And you are very dear to him. The reason we can have such trust in his desire to shepherd us is because of his ability, his power to keep us It's not either or. It's not like he's the gentle God who's just hoping we come to him because, well, I really just need you. Rather, he is the sovereign Lord who doesn't need us. He is sufficient in and of himself. And then he welcomes us to come and we can be assured when we come, he keeps us. He sustains us. As much as we would want to keep big mango from the lightning, we have significant limitations. God doesn't have any of those limitations. And we will see those Shortly, redemption for God's people is never, it's never just a get out of hell card. You've come to faith in Christ. Praise God for the work of the cross and what Jesus has done. You hear it every week. We've heard it this morning in a multitude of ways of highlighting the amazing work that Christ has done, the centrality of the lamb that was slain for his people. We've seen that. But to what end? be near God. Because apart from Christ, we can't come near Him. If left in our sins, I can't come near Him. Our text here in Isaiah is addressing the covenant community of God and, and the Israelites and, and the amazing truth that God's desire, ability, and purpose is to save, and not only the Israelites, but through the Israelites to, to demonstrate His desire to save All peoples, not just Israelites, but people from all nations, all tribes. Human beings were created for fellowship with their creator. But because of the fall, we were all born and quickly lived out our rebellion against him. We don't naturally love him. We don't naturally run to him. We run away from him, the scripture tells us. We're not naturally his friends, we're his enemies. But God in his grace has pursued to save, to have a people for himself. And the whole of the Bible is the plan of God to redeem and dwell with his people in happy fellowship. Our big comfort. That the Lord actually desires for you to be present with him. Dear Christian, this morning, that truth alone, is enough to keep us. (laughs) So even here, knowing God's plan to save followers of God can grow weary. We can doubt. Like the cities of Judah. We sometimes read Isaiah and we think only of those that were unfaithful because there's so much emphasis on the unfaithful ones. But I often think of Isaiah, who was certainly not perfect, but one of the remnant of faithful followers of Yahweh. And you gotta imagine after all these years, Isaiah's like, okay, Lord, I understand the judgment, but Why am I wrapped up in all this? (laughs) Why me in the middle of all of this? Until Isaiah reflects on the vision of God in the throne room, right? And then he remembers. I had to believe that he's regularly reminding himself. Remember that time I saw God seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and there was smoke and there were these crazy wild angels who had six wings, with two they flew, with two they covered their feet, with two they covered their eyes, and they cried out again and again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That reality that impacted him influenced the rest of his life. I have to believe that he regularly reminded himself, oh, we all deserve your wrath, oh God. None of us deserve to come into this presence. So when he turns and gives this declaration to come into his presence, he is so aware of the grace that is inherent in that. Saints, are you aware of God's grace and just the thought that God would want to be near you and bring you near himself? I think sometimes we struggle with this because our thoughts of God are too human. Luther told Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. You're thinking of God like a man. He is not a man. He is almighty God. We're created in his image. We don't create him in our image. So here it is, this, this desire to be near, which demonstrates God's answer to often our questions about God's motives, of which he has no obligation to share all of them with us. But he does here reveal something about his desire to be near his people and the welcome to come. It's so one, one of our hymns says, This is eternal life to know the living God and Christ the Son. The Savior will not let us go until his saving work is done. Our debt was great, as was our need, but now the price is paid. Who can behold Emmanuel, God with us? Emmanuel bleed and doubt his willingness to save. Emmanuel promised in Isaiah chapter 7. The, the benefits of what that means are being explained here in Isaiah chapter 40 point two. Point two, God an- answers our doubts about his willingness to be near by revealing himself to us. Okay, you ready? This is a long read. So let's read God's word together. Isaiah 40, 12 through 26. Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 26. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing, an emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Lord, the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatest of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God answers our doubts about his willingness to be near by revealing himself, our infinite God. The question, who is God, is answered by revelation. How do we know who he's revealed himself? He's told us who he is. In his word, he has said, this is who I am through the prophets and through the apostles and and most fundamentally the great and unique prophet, Christ the Lord, has shown who he is. No one is like Christ, equal with the Father. Yet he has built this historical momentum to reveal to us who he is. God says, let me tell you who I am. Eric Little was a missionary to China and was also a sprinter who competed in the 1924 Paris Olympics for Great Britain. And he had a conviction against running on Sundays. And some of you may be aware of this. You may have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, which is one of the greatest movies of all time. And you should watch it. I know, kids. It's old. And you're like, it's 1981. We can't watch it. The camera's so bad. It's not digital. Um, As far as I'm sounding old, I'm like a grumpy old man now. It's a great, it's a great movie. But what I want to draw your attention to, if you have seen that movie, or if you do see that movie, there's a scene where finally things are resolved. Eric Little's not going to run in his primary event because one of the heats is on a Sunday and he's unwilling to run the 100 meter on a Sunday. So he's going to run the 400, which he has trained for, but not near as good. I won't ruin the story for you. But on the Sunday when he's supposed to be competing, he went to worship with God's people in Paris at a a reformed Presbyterian church that was in Paris. Part of the tradition of the Huguenots who were there. Anyway, long story. He's there and he's worshiping. And in the movie, they have him read this text that I just read you. And the movie clip goes from him in this big, high, exalted pulpit in a very, what would look like a very liturgical church. And it shows clips from guys competing, the other men competing, other Olympiads competing, and they're failing, and they're falling, and it's raining, and they're exhausted, and you see their greatest energy and man's greatest strength. And then the, the dub over is, is Eric Little reading Isaiah 40, <laughs> and you see man's strength highlighted and compared with God's infinite power. What is man? it's just a powerful moment and as we step back we're like oh that's great in the movie but we know that in our own lives don't we you ever step back and say who am i in the big scheme of things god never looks at the bigness of the world and says who am i the god of all of this rather he looks at it and says this is like making cookies for us It, it i'm holding it in my hands This is the God who's invited us to be near. I want you to see who I am. Let me me pull back the curtain and just remind you how confident I am in being God. The greatness and glory of all that I have done and who I am inherently. He is boasting in who He is. He is the one who can boast in who He is. Never will He boast too much and never will we shrink from joining Him in boasting in who He is. Forever we will boast in him. He's the main attraction. He's the center of the universe. He's the purpose for which it was all created. He's the one who loves us. In Christ, he's the one who's redeemed us. Oh, you're wondering today, how significant is my life? Turn your attention to see how significant is the God who made you and in Christ redeemed you. There's where you can find your significance. Bring it near, Eric. Little understood. Listen, if I run in the Olympics or if I don't, oh, well, God will be glorified. I'm sure in his heart, it wasn't quite that confident at times. And I'm sure in our lives, we're not feeling that level of confidence. So the Lord stoops again to reveal himself to us. I am the creator. I made matter. I spoke and matter came into existence. Every living creature is made by me, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heavens with the span? He's he's powerful. We call this omnipotence. His power is unlimited. He is all powerful. He has measured. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Who can contain him? He's incomprehensible. He needs no counsel. God does not need Google. He does not need education. He does not need informants. God learns nothing. He knows it all. Just meditate on that today. God learns nothing. He knows it all. And he loves me. Don't forget that. If you're in Christ today, you could be assured of that love in Christ. If you're not in Christ today, we are calling you to look to the cross where love was displayed where Christ died for sinners, where Emmanuel has come. We're post the promise of Emmanuel and we're longing for his second return. We're in the already not yet of what God is doing. Oh, how faithful is our Lord. He needs no help. He's self-sufficient. Existence is within himself. And then God gives us himself. Know the Lord. He is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100. You see what happens when we, when we separate these realities in our own mind because of who we are. When we emphasize one his love for us apart from who he is, is we get, a, we get a weak love. We get a distorted love. And when we emphasize his nature without his love for us and care for us, we, we get an angry God, we get a distant God, we get a transcendent God, but we don't get the God who condescends to be with us in his son Christ Jesus. And so here, even here in Isaiah, Lord is, is building into his people the idea that God is both transcendent and imminent. He is both exalted and above us, so far above us, but also with us and loves us and desires to draw us in. Three truths. God is greater than his creation, there's no doubt. No room for polytheism. There is only one God. Christianity is not one among many. The bold claim of Christianity is that the God of the Bible is the only God and there is no other. There's no room for pantheism. God is distinct from his creation. He makes that clear here. He's not not synonymous with his creation. He's exalted above his creation, though he sustains it and keeps it. There's no room for relativism here. Truth is not defined by culture. It's defined by God, who he is and his nature. There's no room for atheism here. God is undeniable. There's no room for agnosticism here. God is knowable. He has revealed himself. That's not to say maybe you in your own journey have gone through those thoughts of, is there really a God? That's not to say some of you go like, I I think there is a God, but I don't know that I can know him. The Lord has been kind to condescend to us in our fallen and separate state to reveal himself to us and even open our eyes to who he is. Number two, nothing is a threat to God. So God is greater than his creation as nothing is a threat. He highlights that through the passage and makes it clear that all nations are as nothing before him. I think many of you may have seen in the news where there's Conflict again in Israel, in the Middle East, and Hamas, and hundreds of people—tragedy. Hundreds of people dead. The effects of the fall are deep and broad, but they do not shake who God is and what He's about accomplishing. Wars and rumors do not do not compromise His ability. Do not undermine his sovereignty. And so we're pressed up against the limits of man here. Even when we see these things, we feel our limitations, but our our attention should shift from created beings to the creator. Final thing he says is no sacrifice on man's part of the truth would do justice to the greatness of God. God does not need our worship. The best wood from Lebanon and all the animals that teemed in its forest would be insufficient as a sacrifice to him to satisfy him. This is why when we, if we're not careful as we see God's greatness, we think, what can, what can I do for him? Because he deserves so much. And that's a good impulse and instinct, but it needs to quickly see that there's nothing I could do. I could not do enough because of the demerit that I have. I, I could not accomplish I could not give Enough. Certainly Yahweh had ordained a sacrificial system to highlight for Israel the need for an atonement for their sins. The regular, the annual shedding of blood and the covering of the people's sins which ultimately pointed to a better sacrifice. Man could not give enough but God could give himself. In what was needed, that we might be near him. Hebrews 9, for Christ has entered into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things. He has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. What man couldn't deliver, God did deliver in salvation. That's the promise of Emmanuel. That's the promise of the one king who would come that would exceed far exceed all other kings. That's the one that all other kings were pointing to. It's the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman that would come and crush the head of the serpent and display the glory of God and redeem us as a people to himself. You want to know about the faithfulness of God for us as a church, saints? His commitment to himself in Christ Jesus and our inclusion in his love for us to keep us and sustain us. What a happy place to be. You love me just like you loved your own son. You, you included me. With faith in Christ, I've been included in, into this marvelous love that, that overwhelms me and settles me and gives me this wonderful assurance that God is for me, that God will save me. And then what comes out of my mouth is worship. <laughs> then we worship. That's the motivation for worship. So first, God wants us to know that he desires us to be near him. This intimacy, our intimate God. And second, we need to see who God is. Meditate on who he is so that we understand that the grounds of our salvation is rooted in what God has done and who he is. And then finally, third, God gives his limitless strength to those who wait on him, our omnipotent. God. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Sounds a lot like where we've been. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But here it is He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When doubt persists in our lives, we can grow weary. (laughs) Saints, anyone ever grown weary? Good. Not old enough yet. You will. We all grow tired. We need to sleep. We know what it's like when we don't get good sleep or the, the burdens and challenges of life. In fact, it's, it's sometimes, yeah, I know, again, that seems to be kind of a mantra of our culture. I'm just, well, I'm just tired. When asked how we're doing, many of us will answer I'm tired. We'll e it. We'll think my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. But heartbreaks, suffering, hardships, conflicts, temptations, those really can weigh us down, can't they? From the inside out, our bones. We grow bone weary in life. And there's a difference between weariness and tiredness. Tiredness, we may need to take a nap and we may just be more mature and that's our common state as we're looking for glory but but tiredness is not what we're talking about weariness is a persistent fatigue of the soul which has lost sight of a better future it's a it's a persistent weariness of the soul that has lost sight of a better future i don't know that i can keep going God, you have just been, where have you been? Oh God, are you going to save us as your people? Where are you? Maybe it's personal. I don't know if I can continue with this relationship. I don't know if I can continue with the burdens of this circumstance and situations. I don't, I don't know what to do. And we begin to question God's goodness and his sovereignty. And is God really for us? So we've been looking at the reminder that yes, God is for us. He is the majestic one. He is the limitless one. He is the one who wants to shepherd us and is shepherding us. He is the one who's rescued us. He's the one who initiated pursuit of us. He's the one who will keep his promises forever and ever. He's the one who is unshakable in what he has committed to do in your life. He's the one who keeps you in the dark night of the soul. He's the one who sustains you when you kiss your loved one goodbye. He's the one who will sustain you as you walk each other home to be with Jesus. He's the one that you long to see now because he's walked with you every day of your life. It's a reminder of what you know, saints. There's, there's nothing new. He's like, thanks, Daryl, for telling us what we already know. Let me just remind you again that He doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to experience Him in it. He wants you to know Him in the fellowship of those sufferings where He's, he's caring for you and holding you close to Himself, protecting you from the storms, and you know that If you have been reconciled to Him, He is the only storm to fear. He reigns over all of them. And He loves us. A reminder of of what God knows. He is the Creator. He does not faint. He is not weary. He is the Lord. He cannot forget. My dear Nanny Sheel, converted to Christ the same night as my dad. He was 13. I don't remember her age, but she was, we'll call it young. She was young. My nanny was in her, I think it was, she was in her early 30s. And she lived for Jesus for 50 plus years. And near the end of her earthly journey, she struggled to remember much of anything. And, and as a result, she didn't know most of us. And at times she thought she was eight years old, still on her parents' farm. Sometimes she was a teenager again. Most of the time we didn't know what she was thinking. But when my dad and my mom sang the hymns to her, she lit up. She remembered the goodness of God. An amazing grace. She remembered the goodness of God and the joy of her salvation and at the cross, at the cross. And she remembered the transcendence of God in how great thou art. And while my nanny's memory may have failed, our God's faithfulness did not fail. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. He does not forget His people. He is the Lord. He is the everlasting God. And so we can have confidence. He cannot forget This is God we are talking about. It's precisely here that we can find ourselves at our most vulnerable, but also our most secure. Oh Lord, You know my weaknesses in every way. We don't know what our journeys will be with with our failing bodies, do we, saints? Should we be given that path? We don't know what it will be to walk home. Many of you know to walk home a a child to, to be with the Lord. We don't know what it will be like some of us to walk a parent home but many of us do know and many of us have found that God is yet faithful in keeping us and displaying his glory through us. There is nothing beyond his compassion or his power for his people. That's That's the big takeaway here. There's nothing. Those two things in in glorious juxtaposition, not in conflict, in harmony. There's nothing beyond his compassion and his power for you. Listen, this morning, if if you're not aware of his compassion for you, oh, how you need to know his compassion and grace for you in Christ Jesus. You have to know that. Go back to the cross. And if you don't know his power, dig into this word and see who he is as he's revealed himself. Know who he is in his word, how he holds all things in his hands. They're so small to him, but we as his people are not. So what do we do? Isaiah tells us we wait on the Lord. We live with a confident expectation. That God will fulfill all of his faithful promises. That's what it means to wait. A confident expectation that God will fulfill all of his promises. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait for the Lord. Trust and wait. That is, we wait with hope. We live life on our tiptoes. We're waiting, Lord. We're, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. So whether we, the Lord would give us another year here, five years, 20 years, maybe some of you, 80, 90 years. Whatever he gives it, the Bible describes it all as a vapor. <laughs> Those years, gone. We were made for eternity, not the present life. Nothing frames our focus better than thinking on who God is and his desire to be near us and the, the, the culmination of all things than considering we were made for his glory and his presence. We live on our tiptoes. We're adopting the posture for which we were created. And all along the way, we're reminding others around us, oh, you were, you were made to worship God. He made you in his image. There's the evangelistic impulse that pours out of this 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 is the truth and and bedrock confidence for God's people, but it, it triggers the mission as we go out into the world to say all people were made for God's glory. And we're pleading with them, we're calling them, we're sharing the gospel with them to turn from their sins and trust in the Savior, the one who came to redeem his people from their sins. You've seen this as you've worked through the Gospel of John, as Jesus gets into those, that high priestly prayer and highlights his role to bring peace with the disciples specifically, but I think also his, his church, his people, as he reminds them that he's, oh, there's going to be lots of hardship, lots of difficulty as you come to the end of chapter 16. It's going to be real, real hard. Oh, but, but don't worry. Your conflict in the world is, is not the, the primary circumstance. I've come... To bring you peace. Peace with the Heavenly Father, reconciliation to the God who made you. I've come to answer all of those questions. Jesus has come to answer all of those questions. That's why we're, we would say we're got, you're a gospel centered church, because in Christ, in Jesus, what has been accomplished is all of those questions can be brought to the foot of the cross again and again, and you can be assured my God did come near. The transcendent one took on flesh. And died for me in my place. And now I have strength in Christ. The Holy Spirit indwelling me. Now he is near me. So near that he says. Each of my children. I will indwell. The Holy Spirit indwelling. Each of his people. Glory be to God. Saints we don't have a, a good news message. Of suck it up buttercup. I know life's hard. But God's big and we'll do okay. We have a message of our God who brings comfort to us because he desires to redeem us, because he desires that we would be with him. He has the ability to redeem us, and he's purposed to strengthen us all along the way. Glory be to his name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished. Now, Lord, I I pray that you would... Lord, that you just drill these truths down into our heart. That that those, my brothers and sisters who are here this morning, Lord, who, who are wondering just where you are, who may be anxious or fearful, unsettled, Lord, I pray that they would know that you have shown, demonstrated wonderfully and powerfully specifically at the cross, that you desire for us to be near you, that you've moved towards us, that you have done all that needs to be done, that we might be near you, that we would be near you. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And I I pray for those who are seeing only their, their difficult circumstances, Lord, and I pray they would lift their eyes to your glorious power, your marvelous greatness, and be encouraged in their heart. And then, Lord, we need strength along the way. We don't have self-sufficient strength. Our our strength runs out pretty quickly. But Lord, you you give strength to those who trust in you, those who wait on you, wait with an expectant assurance that you are fulfilling all of your promises along the way. And so glorify yourself, Lord, as we look more and more like your people and praise you all the days of our lives until finally, oh, until finally we are with you. Oh, how we long for that day. Maranatha, in Jesus' name, amen.